Welcome sports fans to the hottest sports podcast in the game, JT and the Don, with your hosts, Jimmy Thompson and Donato Bucci. They're covering the most current issues in sports from the 305 to the 412 and all the way to the West Coast. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JT and the Don or email them at JTandTheDon at gmail.com. Now take it away, guys. Welcome to the next episode of JT and the Don. I am the Don, Donato Bucci, and remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and whatever platform you listen to all of your other favorite podcasts. And remember to leave us a five-star review. Thank you to Nicole Thompson for the great introduction of us and to Mike Regina for the amazing intro music. As always, we will review the divisional playoffs in this episode, some coaching hirings, Throw in some college football and a lot more on this episode of JT and the Don. So let me welcome in everyone's favorite, JT, Jimmy Thompson. How you feeling today? What's going on, man? Feeling good. I feel like we have way too many topics to talk about. So I think it's your fault, but somehow I think you're going to find a way to blame me. That's okay. You always blame me, but it, you know, I won't say whose fault it really is. I mean, it's a good agreement when you say, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to change it, you know. I blame you no matter what. And then, you know, life goes on. Everything is good. Yeah, because I'll, I'll make it work. I'll make it work, even though it's not my fault. And that right there is why he gets paid so much money. That's why you get paid so much more than me. Right, right. We, yeah, we make so much on this show. I mean, we're Stephen A. and Max Kellerman. Stephen A. and Skip, no doubt, yeah. no doubt. Max, I don't know, man. <laughs> Go ahead. If, if, if that makes you feel better, I'll let you live in that world. All right, so let's start with Drew Brees and the Saints, the hot topic from after Sunday night's game, Sunday evening's game. Whew, Drew Brees and the Saints lost 30-20 to 20 to Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. Drew Brees ended up 19 of 34 for 134 passing yards, one touchdown and three interceptions, JT. So do you blame Drew Brees for this loss? Hell yes. He had three turnovers. Now, I will give 25% of the blame to Jared Cook because I felt two of those turnovers were partially his fault. The one where he caught it and then the guy just came behind and just stripped the ball, that was being totally careless. And then the second one where it kind of clanked off his hands, eh, it would have been a tough catch. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's Drew Brees. We're going to talk about you know more about his career in a minute, but he's supposed to be this all-time great quarterback. If this was his last hurrah and this is the way that he showed up to play, like, I feel bad for him because this is the last thing you remember of him playing in the Superdome. And it's got to be his fault. You're the guy, the franchise quarterback, Hall of Famer. You're supposed to put it all on the line for your last playoff run, and you choked. Definitely got to put majority of the blame on him. Well, it's never about just one player because football, as we know, is the ultimate team game. Now, is he a big part of why they lost? Yes, absolutely. And not just because the stats that we mentioned in uh, the three interceptions, which were huge. It's not just about that. It's you, you can't have those interceptions, especially when you aren't going downfield enough to take those chances. I his, mean, if he's in his arm, just look retired. Like it, like it quit the game three years ago. It just This was the really one of the first games where I was like, he shouldn't be the quarterback of the Saints anymore. And I know I joke, we joke about that, but I watched this game and I was like, you guys should have benched him. 
Well, it's interesting you say that because I believe reports came out today. Not sure we were able to confirm them, but he was playing with uh, a rotator cuff that was severely damaged. So he definitely had an injury um, to the to his shoulder. It was hindering his, him, basically. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you're throwing these interceptions, not going downfield. In fact, they got to bring in Jameis Winston. I know it was a trick play, but. I think it was because they knew they couldn't go downfield with Breeze, but they wanted to. And so they bring in Jameis Winston to throw a 50-yard touchdown pass. And this is similar. And the reason why I, I think a lot of the blame goes on Drew Breeze is because they played the way the Steelers were playing, right? You can't throw the deep ball. All 11 guys on defense are within the 10 yards. And so Drew Breeze is just not dynamic enough at QB with these weapons. And they – are they basically are losing a year like that because they should have won. They should have done better. Now, with that said, I don't know if Taysom Hill would have done any better. So um, sticking with Drew Brees, do you think he retires? Yeah. As of, as of right now, he hasn't yeah, made absolutely. an official announcement. Only reason I think he's going to retire is because Jay Glazer said he's going to retire. You know, Glazer is usually pretty accurate about these things. Um, also, just listen to some of the things that the other teammates have said. Like Michael Thomas came out and said that he basically looks like he's played on like uh, torn ligaments in both ankles uh, during the year. And like he was basically saying the only reason he came back to play was to play with Drew. He made it seem like it was like the last hurrah thing, kind of what we all thought. But when you hear guys talk about that and then you see the moment with him and Jameis on the sideline, at, like during the game, you see him leaving the field looking back for the last time and then you see Brady on the field with his kids I'll tell you what if he is coming back I feel like I got gypped of all like the like the emotional roller coaster like this is for no for nothing but with that you know aside based on what we see and I do think this is the last time you'll see him in the Saints jersey you bring up great points with all those things you mentioned because it does look like he was kind of saying Bye, like this is the Kobe around. tour like it's yeah. over but I think in the moment he's got to do that because I don't think he knew the answer at the time. So I think his thinking was, if it is, let me soak it in. If it is. My now, money's on Glazer. <laughs> see, I'm not as convinced as you are, though, about those reports. And this is why, that he's definitely going to retire. I, I'm not convinced yet. I'm not sold on until I hear it from this is why. And I feel the same way with Ben, okay, as I do with Breeze. He, they, meaning Breeze, lost a home playoff game. He can't go out like that. This is now three in a row in the playoffs. He's lost at home in the dome. He can't go out that way. Lost to a division rival. Lost to Tom Brady. Can't go out that way. You were the favorite in this game. Looks bad. Can't go out that way. And then maybe the biggest thing, no fans were cheering him as he's leaving. No chance of Drew, you know, or one more year. Like, you, he so misses Your whole, your whole answer is based around – well, damn, he lost three times in a row already. He can't go out like that. So what happens if he comes back next year and loses the same way? But Are you going to have the same argument? Oh, no, well, he's going to come back again. No. He lost four in a row. He can't go out that way. No, and you missed my point. I said one of the most important things, again, you don't listen. You just jump to conclusions. Ooh, I have no to to fans, you? no fans were cheering him on. I think if fans are there and he's like, you know what, this is it. He soaks it in. He gets that goodbye he wants. I think he's okay, but – it leaves a bad taste in his mouth that this is how he will remember his last game forever. No fans, losing as a favorite, throwing three interceptions, 
three straight home playoff losses. All right. Now, where whether he retires or not doesn't doesn't matter in terms of this next question, JT. Where do you rank him among the all-time greats at quarterback? Well, it's tough because I like the guy personally. I I like to watch him play throughout his whole career, but it's kind of hard to put him in the top 10 because I'm not putting him ahead of Brady, Marino, Montana, Young, Manning, Bradshaw, Elway, Unitas, Aaron Rodgers, and Roger Staubach. I can't put him ahead of those guys. So he might fall somewhere in the 12 to 14 range at best for me. So I, I almost wanted to agree with you, but when I sit down and think about it, JT, I'm not going to put him top five. Too difficult to put him top five, but I can't keep him out of the top 10. Can't. Is this more of like the New Orleans factor of what he meant to that city and then, you know, what no. he meant to the franchise as far as what he came in and did? No, it, not really, even though that's actually a great argument. I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, I didn't even think about that. That's what was but, making it so hard is like the impact no. off of the field is is a lot bigger than some of these guys. But I'm just like, it's it, I mean, damn quarterback is so tough. Well, I, I didn't think of it that way. And now that you say that, I feel even better about putting him in the top 10 because I like that argument you make for me. I actually just can't – I can't ignore the stats, JT. The guy is number one all-time in passing yards. He has over 80,000 passing yards. He's number two in touchdowns, only behind Brady with 571 touchdowns. He's number one in completions, and I know you're going to laugh, but – that gives you an idea of how accurate he is. Number one in completion, 7,142, give or take, right? So in my opinion, not quite top five, but with those stats, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, a lot of the game is about stats when we sit back and look at it 50 years from now. Yeah, he may not be number one 50 years from now, but he's going to be still in the top five, top six, because that is a lot of yards, a lot of yards. And touchdown. So I got to put him top 10. Um, I have most of the guys you do in the top 10. I might have to who take is, out one Who of in that list that I named that you're putting him ahead of? Okay, so this is who else I have in the top 10. Uh, I think I may be missing one. So stick with me here. Montana, Brady, Marino, Elway, no particular order. Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Unitas, Breeze. I think I put Favre in there and oh yeah i have i thought i meant to put Favre in mind too. okay so then i'm only missing bradshaw and staubach of those this is steve young too i am you have steve young in there i thought i did yeah well, well then you got to be missing somebody else um or you had more than 10 because that was eight plus breeze would be nine well i swapped out i forgot Favre. i swapped him out for staubach okay um, so i would take out i would take out probably young and staubach put bradshaw and breeze in there yeah, I have Bradshaw too. So I'm uh he so I guess he'd probably be, like I said, that 12 to 14 range. I mean, it's it's not bad, but it, yeah, it's kind of, it I I think we're both agreeing he can't be in the top five. Top five, no, but I think you gotta put him top ten. That's where we differ. All right. So let's go to a quarterback who we both can agree is not in the top ten all time, at least for the moment. So we're talking about <laughs> Lamar. That's Jackson. harsh. That's harsh, man. I mean, that's my guy. I love Lamar. But uh we can't ignore what we just saw last weekend. Uh, let's talk about the Ravens, of course. Last Saturday night, the Bills defeated the Ravens 17-3. to In the game, uh, Lamar suffered a second-half concussion and didn't return. And some guy filled in who we didn't know who it was because we thought it was RG3. 
Uh, he finished the game with 14 of 24 passing for 162 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception, which was a pick six in the end zone that easily ended the game. He also had 34 yards rushing on just nine attempts. So, Don, what do you think went wrong this season, and what do the Ravens need to do to get over this hump that they've been experiencing in the playoffs? I think what went wrong was they did not provide enough offensive weapons around for Lamar Jackson. And I think you agree with that. I think we've actually discussed this off air before at the end of the year. Hold on. Hold on. You will probably never see us agree as much as we agree on this answer. Cause I know what you're talking about. Cause right when he threw that pick six, I texted y'all. I was like, get Lamar some bleep weapons. This is ridiculous. Like you, you it, it was painfully obvious in that game. What, the Ravens have done wrong the past couple of years. Right. Now I do blame him for that interception. I, oh, it's I can't, horrible. I can't, you know, he's not blameless there, but totally agree with you. Got to get him weapons, especially skilled weapons. I mean, it's nice to have a, a tight end and good protection as the offensive line, but eventually you got to get skills now in the NFL. So they were without Ingram at the end of the year that hurt because last year Ingram was great for them. And I thought another problem JT is I thought they should have used J.K. Dobbins down the stretch as a workhorse. They were they keep way. splitting the carries with the and, running backs, and, and I, I don't understand why they think it's cute. I don't get it either. Listen, Gus Edwards, good running back. You want to put him in to give him to give J.K. Dobbins a breather, or if, if Edwards is your goal line guy or your third and one guy, fine. But Dobbins got to be your workhorse, and they didn't make him the workhorse. They got they did not get into any rhythm against Buffalo, and there you go. They should have used Dobbins down the stretch the way the Rams used Cam Akers down the stretch. Oh, yeah. Just feed him 30 and, times a game and hope he doesn't get a high ankle sprain. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. And then real quick, the other thing is don't underestimate the injury to Ronnie Stanley back in week Huge. Eight. I, I feel like we call a bunch of us texted each other right when that injury happened. And we're like, that's going to be major for them down the stretch but I agree with everything you just said now the the main thing that I want to add to that is I'm blaming the receiving options because they don't have any and I I don't understand why they think Hollywood Brown is the type of receiver that Lamar needs he needs a real number one that's a big target because what's the one thing that everyone always says if your quarterback doesn't have the best accuracy you got to get him a big target. They need a big, dominant, like prototypical target that even when he's covered one-on-one, -on -one, Lamar can just throw it up to him and let him make plays. They don't have that guy right now. Well, they do, but it's Mark Andrews, and it's easier to take him out of the game than it would be like if they had Anquan Bolden in his prime when he won the Ravens the Super Bowl. Or, or even a, a younger version of that would maybe be like a Chase Claypool. Like to me, they need to be knocking on Allen Robinson's door right now. Like, if he were on that team, I think it would look a little bit different as far as how dynamic they could be. But great point about the J.K. Dobbins. They need to find who the guy is, and him and Lamar need to be the two people running the ball. But sticking with Lamar, you know, we talk about J.K. Dobbins. That don't really matter. End of the day, it's about the quarterback. He's up for extension. I think they're already talking about that. Main question is, do you think they can win a Super Bowl with Lamar as the starting quarterback I'm I'm starting to have doubts now JT because I don't see him progressing as a passer like that was a bad interception in the end zone versus it was Buffalo. It, it was so bad that 
everyone on the field and everyone knew knew at home in that moment who the ball was going to, and the guy was still triple cover and he still threw it. He should have right. ran the ball. Like he should have seen that defender, right? I know that defender wasn't initially covering the receiver, but you got to see him. He's right next to him. And you're right. He should have taken off and run. Now, with that said, though, and with what we said earlier regarding the lack of weapons, I'm not counting Lamar out totally in terms of the guy that, you know, uh, can't lead a team to the Super Bowl because I do want to see him with legit, you know, offensive weapons. Well, like you, an you Allen like Robinson. him too. And like he does everything the right way and you feel like you want to see him succeed. Right. And he's a competitor and he wants to win. Like I would want to see if he had same team in Baltimore, same defense and everything, same offensive line. But I would like to see what he could do with like the weapons that Matt Ryan has or the yeah. weapons that Ben you know, Roethlisberger has, then I would like to see that because I think the system still has to fit Lamar's skills, but now you have those offensive weapons that he goes a little off script like Mahomes. Yo, it's dangerous trying to cover yeah. Allen Robinson. Yeah. Um, I actually do think that they can get it done with him, but they got to fix some of the things you said. They got to get him more help on offense, specifically at receiver. I think also, too, you're starting to see why John Harbaugh was – on the hot seat when he went to Lamar as a rookie. And I think that's starting to manifest itself. So there might be a coaching change at some point, maybe a more innovative mind needs to come in and, you know, find a new way to get the best out of this offense. And then also too, let's not, I want to see the front office actually do something good in the draft. Now that Ozzie Newsom's gone, like these last two drafts, they had have been terrible. And I don't know anybody that's really an impact player. Like JK Dobbins might be the best one. And we just saw him this year. But the last two drafts, like name a guy on the Ravens that has really been great. I don't really know one. Well, I think Hollywood Brown's supposed to be that guy. Is that if that's the flag bearer, that kind of goes to my point. But you got to let him develop too. I mean, they haven't opened up the offense either. I mean, yeah. and, and Marquise Brown was open. If Huntley hits him on that, even oh, though yeah. they're down seventeen three, totally different game. It changes the fourth quarter. So the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's go to the other AFC division. Talk about game. hating games. This this game made me so pissed off because I'm like, look, the Chiefs got it. It's no way they can pull this out. Odds are stacked against them. And then just, you know, football gods, just let it happen. Well, they held off the Cleveland Browns 22-17 to advance to what? Their third straight third home, straight. Third straight home AFC championship game. There was a turning point in the game, though, JT. Um, or at least a, a possible deciding factor where uh, Rashard Higgins seemed to be headed for a score at, or at least put Cleveland on the one-yard line but fumbled um, by a hit caused by Daniel Sorensen. Subsequently, the ball went through the end zone by rule, making it a touchback for Kansas City. Now, JT, should they change the touchback rule on fumbles that go out of the end zone as that was a hot topic right after the play and after the game? I'm going to say yes, only because I hate the rule, because when people are going for the, for the pylon or the goal line, it's we're trying to break the plane because once it breaks the plane, the ball is basically dead. So I just hate it that, you know, you work so hard to get down there. And it's, it's different if someone recovers it, but if nobody recovers it, it's a fumble. I, I just hate that rule. But I, I don't know what the alternative is, and that's why I'm going to kind of just – 
turn to you on this because I figure you have something unique made up. But I don't know if you get rid of this rule. Like, what do you change to make it better? You know me way too well because you know I have like this crazy idea. I know you got some crazy <laughs> thing that you're gonna write up and send to the NFLPA. Like, I just want to hear what it is. So go ahead. All right, I'll, I'll get to it. But in terms of should they change it? No, because my answer to the offense would be don't fumble. That's your job is not to fumble. It's the score. The defense's job is to cause a turnover and prevent you to score, which they did here. So the league has enough rules, JT, favoring offenses that we don't need another one to punish good defensive plays. Like when you cause a fumble at the one, that's a great defensive play. That's really so, tough to do. <laughs> exactly. So why are we punishing defenses? There's enough rules favoring offenses. So no, don't change it. Here the defense makes an affirmative play, so they should get the ball if it goes through the end zone and no one recovers it. And listen, here's my crazy idea. If you don't like that rule, do something similar to what, and it's not quite similar, but it's like a jump ball in basketball in the NBA. Okay, if there's a jump ball, they don't know whose ball it is, so they do a jump ball if there's a tie-up. Now, this would be my proposal, JT. Are, are you ready for this? What you got? All right. So when that happens, the defensive team gets a field goal attempt from 50 yards out without a rush. If the ball goes through the uprights, defensive ball. If they miss it, the offense gets it at the 20 going into the end zone. I mean, I would do it just to see the XFL type rules you like to implement, but I guess that works. Okay. Justin now, Tucker would hate that right about now, but I guess, you know, <laughs> he, we'll see what happens. He struggled toward the end of the year. I think I think uh, Al Michaels put the jinx on him, by the way. You know what's so funny? I was thinking the same thing during that game, and it's like I've seen Justin Tucker miss some, like, easy kicks over the past couple of years, and it's always right after someone's like, Oh, he never misses. And I was like, oh, shit, he's going to miss. Yep, yep. Now, let me ask you real quick. Is this the worst rule in sports? No, no. What, what is it? Because I think we agree on it. Well, the, the, worst, well, the worst rule was yeah. the one they took back with the pass interference one. Oh, uh, okay, okay. That's not what I was thinking. What were you thinking? Um, the targeting rule in college football. Oh, yeah, that's the worst one. Okay. I hate the ejection part of it. Yes, I would say if you at least change something on it, change the ejection part because that's too harsh. It's too subjective to to throw somebody out of the. It's like you have to, in your mind, decide whether you have to decide intent in a physical game. Like yeah. that's that's too hard. I can see getting a fifteen yard penalty and maybe like two or three of those you get ejected, but one where it's like questionable. I very rarely have seen a targeting call where I was like, you know what, that dude just tried to kill him. Yeah, throw him out. Like, I very rarely have seen that. Right. And the game's so fast, you don't know when the offensive guy's lowering his head um, and you accidentally hit him, you know, in the in the helmet. So, all right. Well, I guess we can agree on on one rule at least. So, speaking of the targeting rule, on that hit by Daniel Sorensen, JT, did the officials miss a helmet-to-helmet -helmet hit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not so much that he connected with his helmet, it's that he led with his helmet. Like, it was obvious, like, he was leading with his helmet to try to cut him off at the goal line. And you correct me if I'm wrong, don't the turnovers get reviewed anyway? Like, in that time frame? Well, yes, they get reviewed, but because 
that is more of a penalty situation. Yeah, it wasn't that, because it wasn't it initially was, called. It, it was determined that's not a reviewable call. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, they did miss the helmet to helmet, which is weird because I understood. I understood at the moment why he, the referee, probably missed it because he was probably focused on. All right, let me see if he steps out or gets gets to the goal line with the ball, and he probably couldn't see Sorison coming from the opposite direction to hit him. So for the ref, I'll give him a a breather in that aspect because I think it's just a, such a bang bang play, like you said, and it's so tough to keep your eyes on all these things at one time when you're looking for the main one, whether or not he scores or steps out. You know, obviously it was a helmet-to-helmet hit, but I don't think they missed it in terms of, like, throwing a flag because I don't think we go back to intent. I don't think the intent was there because both guys are diving. What did you really want Daniel Sorensen to do? Yes, he could have kept his his head up a little bit better. Sometimes there's nothing you can do, and that's the point. And and that is my point that so the intent wasn't there. He was actually trying to make a play on the ball. Again, not every rule can be in favor of the offense. So my argument in defending Sorensen here is that running backs seem to always lower their heads outside the hashes and never get flagged, even though that's technically a rule. They can't lower their head and lead with the crown. That never gets called. So here, hey, Higgins is diving. Is his head down? Kind of. He's kind of leading with the crown of his helmet. So I don't know. Plus the lead. Is his head down or is he making a move to dive for the goal line? And, and my argument That's would be. That's not leading. And, and my argument would be Sorensen is making a play on the ball, on the ball carrier, not just leading with his head. But again. It's tough. I, it, it's tough. And plus the league reviewed it and they did not suspend him. They're not suspending him. Now they could fine him. But listen, Mac Wilson was not flagged for his hit on Mahomes, was he? No. That led to a concussion. So I, I just don't think Higgins was defenseless because he was in an offensive position making a play. Now, let's go to a team that's outside the playoffs, JT. <laughs> they outside of everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And this has really been the hottest topic. You want to talk about it every show, every day with me. My goodness. Yo, so uh, you're just going to act like you don't want to discuss Deshaun Watson at all. This is all me, right? You see you see the BS I got to deal with? You just, you know you lying. That's why you're laughing so hard. Listen, I know damn well you've been texting me about Deshaun Watson just I'm, as much as I want to talk about it on the show. I'm done talking about it until an actual move gets made, okay? All right? But anyway, we're going to talk about it Hold right on, now. Hold on, time out. Time out. Before you get into this really quick, to show you how much he's lying and how full of crap he is, he cares about this topic so much that he tried to trick me by sending me fake news about Deshaun Watson being traded to the Patriots. So this is coming from a guy who claims he doesn't care about it, doesn't want to hear about it until something happens. He's out there reading fake tweets and stuff and trying to trick people. So you care, regardless of what you say. I just knew you would you would maybe break down because it didn't involve the Dolphins. That's why. Your plan failed. All right, so we're going to talk about Deshaun Watson, um, who is obviously upset with the organization over several items. We we mentioned that in the last episode, episode 74 of JT and the Don. So check that out if you haven't listened to it yet. Reports were at the end of the season that he had not returned calls by the Texans, but it could have been JT. I looked this up because he was on vacation. Okay. Now, how do you think this situation ends up with Deshaun Watson? I know how I hope it ends up. 
I just think he's gone. Whether it's before camp or during the summer, it just seems that I don't want to be over dramatic, but this just seems like the messiest breakup I've ever seen in the NFL. Like it's teetering on that spot because there's just so many moving pieces involved. And to let you know how bad it is, two things that make me think it's not going to end well and he'll be gone. One is they got rid of the person that everybody on the outside thought was the issue with the players, which was Bill O'Brien. And it's still bad. Like you got rid of the guy that I didn't like and I still don't want to be there. One. And then I don't know if you saw this, but um, it popped up on my timeline. I really haven't heard much about it. But last week, uh, Dan Orlovsky works at ESPN, former quarterback. He tweeted or, or he wrote it somewhere or someone talked to him that he's talked to his connections that are inside and around the Texans organization. And he basically said the situation is worse than anybody knows based on what's being the information that's being leaked on the outside. So when he says that, that lets me know that it's like a full on fire sale. And basically Deshaun's like, I ain't showing up to work until y'all get me the hell out of here. I think he's going to play there in 2021 JT and beyond. I think what they do is I, t- I mentioned to, I mentioned this last episode, I believe. I think they hire the enemy to keep the peace with Deshaun Watson because they realize Watson's a, sh- a special player and a rookie Q- QB, even if they trade Watson for a high draft pick, a rookie QB is still a gamble. Well, they're asking and, for three first round picks for which, him at the, at the least. Which I don't know if they'll get at this point because teams are going to think. Well, eh. all, all the, <laughs> they don't have any leverage because they know the guy doesn't want to be there. Right. So maybe one first round pick, but it's I don't know. It's got to be a three. team that has the picks available to give up and it's not going to affect them too much. Like right. The Dolphins. Well, again, though, well, that's we, we've discussed that before, but I think the Texans realize what a mistake it would be to lose to Sean Watson. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. And how the Texans are at fault for the deterioration in the relationship. So they figure out a way to smooth things over because, and we're going to get to it later, a lot of coaching positions are being filled, but not the Texans. And I think they're going to end up with the enemy, knowing that twofold, he's a good. He's potentially going to be a, a really good head coach based on just his track record as an OC. But then, two, it's going to keep Deshaun there. So let's have a little fun, JT. Let, let's, uh, let's start a little conspiracy theory because I know you love doing rumors. You just love throwing rumors out there. So, hey, why not? Let's go full in. Should the Jaguars trade the number one overall draft pick in this year's draft for Deshaun Watson? Man, I'd make this deal in a heartbeat. is it's not even that difficult Watson is a top four quarterback proven generational talent and if I'm Urban Meyer this takes all the pressure off me to make the right decision that who's going to be my starting quarterback which he's already come out and said he's struggling with so you don't have to worry about Justin Fields nor Trevor Lawrence because you got Deshaun Watson who's already played in the NFL been successful and has already played in your division and it's he's coming into an ideal situation. He's already got weapons there and they have over $70 million in cap space and the draft picks. We're assuming they just give up that, that number one overall pick. They have things to make the situation better around Deshaun. So Jags, if that's even on the table, you need to be going to Deshaun's house right now 
making sure he's on board and calling the Texas and look, we're open for business. We're ready to swap this pick for him. If you're Jacksonville, you do not make that move. And, and this is nothing against Deshaun Watson because we both have praised Deshaun Watson and think he's going to continue to be uh, one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. But two reasons, JT, the money aspect and the age. All right. You take Trevor. I, I don't I don't understand what the issue is. Two years ago, it would have been you. You wanted from two years ago, you wanted the Dolphins to start the tank for Trevor. Two years ago, now he has what? He loses one playoff game, and everyone's off. Off. This of ain't Trevor. got nothing to do with Trevor. This is all but about it, the Sean Watson. But it does. If Trevor wasn't available, I would say make that move. But again, two reasons: the money aspect. You are now, if you're Jacksonville, you're full in on Deshaun's contract. All right. You need to win right away. That's way more pressure on Urban because he doesn't have that time to build a team. He needs to win now because in three years, four years, Deshaun's going to want that Mahomes contract. And if you're not winning by then, you're never going to be able to build the team. But with Trevor's, even though it's a number one overall draft pick, it, the contract is very reasonable still. So you've got him five years. Five years, Trevor, at a very reasonable rate. And then after that, guess what you do? Franchise tag him, or now you sign him to a big contract six, seven years. So you could have Trevor 12 years. Another reason, the age, right? Trevor is younger. You want that because now you're stretching out that window. And then the other thing is, well, there's actually a couple other things now that I think about it. You don't <laughs> want to face Trevor twice a year. Right, you pass him up. He's and gonna. You don't want to face Deshaun twice a year, but, but I get but what you're JT, saying. JT, you're gonna face Deshaun regardless. The thing is, though, you're actively giving up Trevor to now face him twice a year. And again, Trevor's younger. You're gonna face him a lot longer in time. So, to me, and the less injuries, Trevor does not have as many injuries as Deshaun because Deshaun had a major injury. Yeah, two. Thank you. So. Trevor has less mileage than Deshaun as well. All right. So he wouldn't give up anything to get Deshaun. I would give up the farm. I, so we'll see, see what happens. See, you don't twist my words. I didn't say don't give up anything or Number everything. Is, neither is, did I say gets. neither did I say give up everything. What I'm saying is this particular scenario you drew up, I'm not trading my number one overall because Trevor's available. All right, cool. I guess we'll see what happens. So we're going to dive into uh, the NFL coaching carousel. So the coaching uh, hiring is in full swing. But first, before we get into that, we're going to talk about, I don't know why you said this is my favorite coach of all time. I think you're trying to attempt to make a joke because I hate this guy. And I wish I could curse on this show more than I do. But we're talking about Adam Gase. Be nice. And I posted about this this earlier this week. So there is a report out there that Adam Gase is a candidate for the offensive coordinator vacancy with the Seattle Seahawks. Of course, that's new, that's newsworthy because one, Adam Gase shouldn't be coaching anywhere right now. And second, a guy he traded from the Jets to the Seahawks and they openly feuded with is now there in safety Jamal Adams. So, Don, going straight to you with this question. If Gase gets this OC job in Seattle, can him and Adams coexist in this possible reunion? 
Man, I know what how you're gonna answer this, JT. Oh, you want me to go first? I, here, here. No, I'll, no, 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 I'll, no, no, I'll make no, it real no, easy no, for no, you. No. I'll make it real easy for I, you, and then you can go. I wanted to disagree with you, but I feel I'm gonna agree with you. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you. So, okay, go ahead. You go. First, Yo, he man. said he doing all this extra stuff. <laughs> easy answer. No. Next question. Yeah, th there's no shot. There's no. All right, shot. cool. He, he left because of Gase, and if they struggle, this is the funny thing, JT. If they struggle, especially on offense. Yo, Jamal Adams is going to put him on blast. I mean, he's going to put Adam Gase on blast for it. I think he's going to put him on blast regardless. So, <laughs> so on top of that, I think the main thing that this boils down to is just anybody with a brain is wondering why is Adam Gase getting a look and is a candidate for an OC position. So I want to ask you, why do you think teams are hiring him immediately after he's fired? Now, this would be, what, twice now? if it happens that he's been hired immediately after he's been fired. Right. So why do you think Adam Gase out of all people keeps getting second chances in well, the NFL? I actually think there's a, a several reasons, JT, and you may not agree, but here we go. He's a former head coach of two teams and other head coaches like that because well, three teams, right? Well, two NFL, two, teams. two. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So in other NFL coaches or other head coaches in general, I think like that because those guys can empathize and sympathize with what the head coach is going through. And they've been there. And, th and there's another guy that they can throw ideas off of that have been in those situations, answering to the media, answering to the owner, answering to the, to the players. And he has quite the history now. He's been around 21 years he started, we talked about this before, he started as a graduate assistant in 2000 at LSU under who, JT? Nick Saban. He was the offensive coordinator with the Broncos and Bears. And really, he's been credited, whether you like it or not, he's been credited with some of Jay Cutler's best years. All right. Now, you know me. I don't like recycling of coaches in the NFL. I always feel, hey, if a coach has been around not succeeding and he's been at multiple stops, there's probably a reason. You get new blood. However, some coaches are better as coordinators, and he may be one of them. Like, I look at Dick LeBeau, better coordinator than he was as a head coach. Wade Phillips, probably a better coordinator than he was a head coach. Jason Garrett, we probably could say the same. And maybe Adam Gase is in that, in that class, JT, and that's why he is up for now an offensive coordinator position in the NFL right away. I mean, I really – don't care about the points you just made. I just totally disagree with everything, and I don't get it. I'm just gonna it's go with the answer. It's because it's Adam Gase. I'm gonna I'm gonna Adam go with Gase. the most popular answer that everyone has given me basically since he was the coach of the Dolphins is that he must have incriminating evidence on everybody that makes powerful decisions in the NFL. That's not true. Honestly, I oh. think the man got the Colin Kaepernick collusion emails. That's the only explanation that I can give. He must. God, I'm I'm trying to keep it together, but this makes no damn sense. Anybody that makes that makes the like any argument about him having a job, like in based on you know what you said, he's been a coach, like that doesn't mean shit. And I, and I and excuse my language, but this is just ridiculous. The same people that are out there arguing that oh, you know, the NFL is a merit-based you know organization, you know, it's all based on you know what you do, what your results are. Blah, blah, blah. Anybody who keeps saying that can just shut up because you can't say that's the NFL until Adam Gase stops getting jobs. Like, it doesn't make sense. 
He is basically Mike McCoy. And we didn't know Mike McCoy is that bad until he started getting people fired. But guess what? Adam Gase is the same way. What has he done well? You're talking about Jay Cutler. Ooh, he got Jay Cutler to show up and care about getting paid $20 million for one season. Congratulations. Great job. But let's look at his stats. And I'm pretty sure you already know this. Offenses statistically regress at everywhere he goes, his last three stops. He has been a head coach for, what, uh, six years almost? Yeah, probably give or yeah, give or take. Right All the around. time he's been a head coach, never had an offense ranked higher than 21st in yards or 23rd in points. What is what is offensive about him that you need to bring him in as a coordinator, especially when you got a guy like Russell Wilson in the fold? Like this is going to destroy him. Also, everywhere he has gone except for Jay Cutler, players tend to not like him. Here's the thing. This is all I need to hear in the interview process. If you got Frank Gore to say he don't want to play football anymore, that's how I know you're not the coach for me. It's Frank Gore. He will play until he's 50. He played one season where Adam Gase is like, you know what? I'm rethinking about doing this shit because I can't do it. And Seahawks brings me to that. If you are Pete Carroll and you're looking at this, just be open and honest about this question. How does bringing in Adam Gase improve Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Chris Carson, and Tyler Lockett? Because they struggled down the stretch last year. I mean, this past season, they just, they just ended. And how does bringing in Adam Gase help? And if I'm Russell Wilson and they bring in Adam Gase, I'm 100% out. Because his track record shows me what happens when he comes in to the position of calling plays for your team. And if I'm Pete Carroll, I would be careful because this is the kind of move that can get you fired. All I'm going to say is go talk to Steve Wilkes when he when they brought in Mike McCoy as the offensive coordinator for the Cardinals. It was so bad that he didn't get a second chance. This is the kind of move that you can live to regret. And I just don't understand why he's even on the table. Well, you asked me the question, why do you think teams are looking to hire him? I gave you the reasons. I don't agree with them. I actually agree with you. I wouldn't bring them in. I'm giving you the reasons of why teams are looking at him. And, and that is the truth. That is the truth. What I laid out, I don't agree with it. I don't think, I think he's got to go back to being a position coach, work his way back up and prove it. So I agree with you there. All right, let, let's go to a segment we haven't done in a while, JT. Love it, like it, or trash it. All right. But let's stick with coaches, but focus on head coaches that have recently, recently been hired. All right, I'll give you a team and who they hired, and you let me know if you love it, like it, or trash it. Got it? All right, cool. All right, Atlanta Falcons and Arthur Smith. I actually love it, and I think we talked about this uh, a couple times on the show. I mean, it, it seems like a perfect fit. Offensive mind that the Falcons have needed. Uh, the Titans, you look at them, they've been statistically the most efficient offense in NFL history the past two years. And he did that, calling plays, with guys like John U. Smith and Corey Davis, who we either didn't think were good or we had never heard of. Imagine what he can do with Matt Ryan, Julio Ridley, Hurst, Gage, et cetera, whoever they bring in. And then also the thing I do like about him is that as good as Tennessee was, like Ryan Tannehill put up these big games, they were committed to running the football and basing everything around that. And I think that's the thing that Atlanta couldn't do essentially since Kyle Shanahan left. And I think that's what they have struggled with. And that's why they haven't won. So if Smith can come in 
and essentially get them back to running the ball and then making the passing game efficient, I think it's an excellent hire. I like it. I don't love it. I just like it. And because now, JT, after that game against the Ravens, I wonder how much of the offense really it was Derrick Henry in that offensive line. And that's what made Smith and Tannehill look so good. Because I'll tell you one thing, Smith couldn't scheme up anything against the Ravens without the I mean, it's the Ravens. Josh Allen didn't look that great either. And people were talking about him possibly being an MVP. So, But the Steelers twice, JT, were able to pass on the Ravens. Tennessee couldn't do it. But I get where you're going. But how is it different? We couldn't run the ball. Baltimore knew we were passing. And one of those games, one of those games where it was an ugly, like, Wednesday game. Well, either way. It's the right move by the Falcons, all right? We've discussed it before. This is you a good – You yeah, said this is where he would go. This is a good spot for him. He's the best guy for this job, especially if the Falcons couldn't get Trevor. Because I said if the Falcons somehow get Trevor, they got to bring in Dabo. So this is the right move by the Falcons. But I like it. I don't love it. I like it. Jacksonville and Urban Meyer. <sighs> Trash it. And <laughs> – I just don't want to tie Trevor as good as we think he's going to be good enough to not give up for Deshaun Watson. I don't want to tie him to a college coach that hasn't been a head coach in the pros. And plus, I don't want to tie him to a guy that could quit at any time. Like this is what, like he's got Bobby Petrino written all over him. And I felt like this was the situation where you should have gone with Arthur Smith or BNB because I know what they can do at the pro level, and I know they're committed to coaching in the NFL. And I just – something about this I just can't wrap my, my arms around. I agree. Uh, trash it. And I'm a, of, the different, of a different opinion or reason, I think he's going to be out after three years, even with Trevor. I, I don't think they win enough. I, I think they lose too many games because they have too many other holes to fill, and Urban hates to lose. He's a front runner. Like he's got to get used to it because that's what's going to happen. Well, this that's the NFL. Like the guys exactly. that come in don't get to go to the the top programs and, in the country. Like you don't go from Florida to Ohio State in the NFL. Like that's not how it works. And you don't bring in fifteen five stars all at once. It takes. It's a process. Yeah, and you got to work. <laughs> yep. And he's not going to be patient enough for it. He's going to be out like like uh, Nick Saban did with the Dolphins. And plus, Urban's history shows us that. He's not going to stay there much longer than what his contract is. And I think because it's the NFL and he loses a lot more than he wins, he'll be out after three years. So I agree. Let's trash. it. All right. Here's an interesting one. The L.A. Chargers and Brandon Staley. Trash it. And it's because I, I knew it. you were going to do that. I get it. The defense of the Rams was really good. But let's be honest, that defense is loaded with talent. So I'm not giving uh, Staley all the credit. And plus, he was a D coordinator for just one season, which I'm kind of uh, about. Is this that Sean McVay effect that we always see with guys that are just somehow around him that, you know, went to a party with him that you're automatically, you know, that next coaching guy. And honestly, we love Justin Herbert. I would have loved for them to bring in an offensive mind. And they better hope. I think this is why they did it, even though I don't agree with it. They better hope that they can bring him in and that defense can learn how to finish games because I think that's what they were trying to show up with this hire more than, okay, how can we get the most out of all this talent that we have on offense? I, I agree. Trash it. Should have went 
first, you're totally right. I said this. I, I had the same thing written down. He had some great defensive players. Of course his defense was going to be good. That naturally. defense is so good. There's guys on that team that people don't even know about that are playing at, like, pro football focus, like, top ten levels. I, I'll tell you what. Saturday night's game, even though Aaron Donald was missing a lot of play, like, he's not, he wasn't on the field for a lot of plays. Who was that? Michael Brockers? Like yeah. who he people forget has been a beast yeah. since he's been in the, with he the played, Rams. He played a great game. He gets overshadowed by Aaron Donald. So I think people forget. Wasn't Brockers a top ten pick? I'm not. I, I think he would. I think he back. is. But I mean, yeah. they got they got Floyd on the other side who used to play for the Bears. He was a yep. top ten pick. Like Jalen Ramsey's there. Yep. Um, Johnson's uh, the safety. He's good. Like there's a lot of guys on yeah. that team that are really good. So I'm not sold on Staley. Um, but the other thing is, I thought you had to go with. A, this was a team that had to go offensive coach, whether it was Brian Dable, Eric Bieniemy, or Byron Leftwich, because they could have helped develop Herbert. And I know Staley can bring in a good OC, but it's not the same when There's the so head many coach, proven offensive guys on the market. You got to go get one. Exactly, it's not the same as if when the head coach, who's an offensive guy, is grooming the young quarterback, like a Sean McVay. Yeah. All right. We agreed again. That's kind of crazy, JT. All right, Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell. Man, Campbell. Trash it. And <laughs> I like him personally because, I mean, it, it was like lightning in a bottle when he took over as the interim coach for the Dolphins. But ever since then, he's kind of disappeared into, like, to nowhere. Like, you forget that he's still coaching in the NFL. But he earned his stripes. Isn't that what you he always did. want? I will, I will say this. Me saying trash it has nothing to do, not as much to do with him as it does with the Lions, and I'll tell you why. One, I just don't get the fascination with Campbell. Yes, he coached us for 12 games, went 5-7, and seven, and it was like a big thing. You know, they were great, but we still went 5-7. and seven. But other than that, I don't really know anything that he can hang his hat on to say, you know what, hey, you're a coaching candidate, especially with the other guys that are available to get jobs on the board. But here's the ultimate reason why I trashed it. If I'm a Lions fan, explain to me how this isn't a lateral move from Matt Patricia and how this is an upgrade from Jim Caldwell. Okay, so I'll go back to the Jim Caldwell. That was a bad decision by the Lions to fire him. I've been saying it since day one. He did really well there. He was going to get them back into the playoffs. Now, with that said, you can't go back in, in history and change that, right? Now, I actually like this move, JT, and I'll tell you why. You bring up one good point. The whole Dolphins, when he was the interim coach there, yes, 2015, went five and seven. That was actually a really good record with that team because, if, unless I'm mistaken, that was Joe Philbin's team. Yeah, but were, also, and, to, to and, your point, he was taking over for Joe Philbin, who I think the players really didn't care for him. But that's my whole point, right, is that there wasn't much going on there. And yes, they were only four games in, but the culture was was just it. It was, it was clear that he wasn't it, the head coach. Like, he yeah. just, like no matter the team he was coaching right. and, for. And weren't they just coming off the bully gate with uh, Richie yeah. Incognito? And so he righted that ship, in my opinion. And yeah, five and seven doesn't sound good, but you got to go look at the talent he had, which, as far as I know of, wasn't great, and the situation he had to get right. And I think that is why Detroit brings him in. The players are going to respect him. And he will get that locker room right because he's the opposite of Matt Patricia, which I think he got too loose there. You know, he, he thought coming from Belichick, guys were just going to instantly do what he wanted. No, like the players are going to work hard for Dan Campbell because if they don't, JT, guess what? 
they're out. Yeah. And they're going to have to work hard because he's going to work hard well, and they're going to see it. He's not going to come in with the, the franchise arrogance like Matt Patricia right. did. Like, it, hey, we're from the Patriots. We know better. Just shut up and do what we say. I don't think he'll come in that way. Exactly. And I, I just don't want to say I like it because there's just so many different ways that could have gone with this I, hire. And I understand that. But I think their biggest thing is they need a Culture. guy in there. Yes culture and mentality and that's exactly what he can do for them so you're right there may have been other great candidates out there but for them and what they need to start with this is the right this is the right move i think surprising like i surprised myself with with liking it <laughs> all right <laughs> all right so a major topic each offseason jt is that um in which should be more to the forefront is the lack of diversity hiring of head coaches in the NFL. And we just see with that list of four, we read off not much diversity there. Um, so in fact, this year, no black head coaches have been hired and only one minority coach has been hired. So and we discussed the Robert Sala hire last episode. Congrats to we, him. We both love it. Yep. So, Furthermore, JT, of the past 19 head coaching positions filled in the NFL, I think over the course of about three years, only two black coaches were hired. So what are your thoughts on those statistics and what can be done to improve those statistics to give all coaches, regardless of color, an equal chance at such a limited amount of head coaching positions? You know what? That's such a – I feel like it's a question we deal with every year around this time – and we we give our answers and you know we try to explain you know why do we continue to see this trend despite all the you know the measures in place to to assure this doesn't happen so i kind of took a different approach this year and i was just trying to peek behind the curtain as much as i can to try to understand it because i think part of this is a loaded question that doesn't have anything to do with the nfl itself and then the other part is i think um, which I'll explain has something to do with depends on what jobs are open. So basically what this told me and where I'm coming with at this is there's two different things. The one is this tells me that black and minority coaches need to start considering who they hire as their agents. And I, I was going through like, you know, who are some of the top agents that have like top coaches and, you know, the usual list of suspects came up like uh, Bob Lamonte, um, Athletes First, um, uh, Tom Condon, which people have heard of. And then I know, I don't know if I alluded this to you off air, but um, Jimmy Sexton, he's like a big time like college football agent and basically anybody who's anybody in the SEC is under him. And I just wanted to go through like some of the guys that belong to these people like Bob Lamonte, Andy Reid, John Gruden, Sean McVay, Zach Taylor, Doug Peterson, Sean McDermott. They, those guys all went into really good situations when they were hired for coaches. Um, athletes first, Jason Garrett, Matt Nagy, Matt LaFleur, John Lynch, uh, guys that went into really good situations. Um, and then I want to look at the college aspect. So let's take that same uh, company, Athletes First, that I just read off. They basically have every college coach that's not in the SEC. So guys like Brian Kelly, Chip Kelly, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, and some other guys. And I also mentioned Jimmy Sexton in the beginning. 
uh, real big in the SEC, Nick Saban, Gus Malzahn, Kirby Smart, Dan Mullen, Jimbo Fisher. So what that tells me is I don't know. Now, of course, some of these agencies have black coaches that are already coaches. But the thing I couldn't find out is who are these black coaching candidates that are in the pipeline? Who is representing them to make sure they get on the radar for these jobs? And I think one of the things that's probably hurting them that people aren't talking about is I think the representation at the college level by agents is so much stronger. It seems like there is a system there. And that's how, when I'm going to get into my second point, that's how you can explain some of these guys that come into the NFL with no experience from college. And you're like, well, how did that guy even get considered? And I think those guys have the right agents. And I don't know who is representing these black coordinator candidates and black position coaches in the NFL. So that's my first point. I think that there needs to be a look at who is representing them from the agent level. Now, second is more before of a you go, Before you go into your second point, I have a question with that because you bring up an interesting point there. Are those agents hired before or after the coaches are hired as a head coach, though? That I'm not sure of, but I'm pretty sure it's – that's a good question. I'm pretty sure it's got something to do with the relationships. If the coordinators aren't under contract with these agents, I'm pretty sure they know somebody who is there and they're, they can be in communication of like, hey, all right, this guy, we think he can be a head coach one day. We'll have him on our radar, kind of like a, like a recruit maybe. Uh, but I'm not sure that's a good question. I'll make sure to look that up. But um, the second point is uh, more of a theory, but I tested it out based on the last three years of coaches that were hired in NFL based on the, the teams that had openings. And I have a theory. I think another reason you don't really see um, maybe not the increase in black coaches and minority coaches being hired is I think you got to look at the jobs that are open. Because one thing that I noticed is the jobs that become open, and I'll show you, I don't think black and minority coaches are getting considered for teams that have ideal coaching situations. So what I mean by an ideal coaching situation is they have a combination of these things going on. Either they already have the franchise QB in-house. They either have a top, you know, three to four pick in the draft to get a QB, tons of cap space, or a combination of cap space and draft picks available for a rebuild with lowered expectations so some combination of those so i just put that theory to test and i looked at the jobs that have been open for the past three years so we're just going to start with this year and just bear with me jacksonville jaguars they have number one pick overall 11 picks this year which breaks down into two first round picks and two second round picks they have uh, over 70 million dollars in cap space but here's the thing they never interviewed the enemy or sala as far as i knew who do they go? They went Urban Meyer. And they wanted Urban Meyer from the start, and they wanted to offer him record money. He belongs to one of those agencies that I just described. So there goes your guys getting into the NFL with no head coaching experience by having good representation. Let's look at the Chargers. We both said we didn't like that, that hire. Already have the franchise quarterback with Herbert. They have a top, they're top 10 in 2021 cap space. I felt like they quietly gave the job to the Rams DC after one year of coordinator experience. And they didn't interview the two guys that we think should have got that job, which is probably the enemy of Sala. And then I didn't know this, but you, did you, do you know who? Um, well, I also said Brian Dable would have been a good fit with the chargers. Yeah, exactly. Um, Falcons, 
I actually like the pick, so I'm not going to argue with it, but I'm just going to give you the situation. Already have the franchise quarterback, already have weapons in-house, top four draft pick this year. Jets. Now, they went against the trend. They hired a minority coach. They hired Salah. But look at this. Number two pick, 80-plus million in cap space. He was the one minority candidate that was hired this season. Now, here's the, here's the turning point. Do you know what the worst job on the market is right now that's available? It's the Texans. And guess what? They are the one team that's interviewing all the minority candidates. The enemy's a favorite. They're interviewing Leslie Frazier. I think they're interviewing some other black coordinators. Look at their situation. No cap space, no draft picks. Their franchise quarterback wants out. Now, that might just be an anomaly. Let's go to the 2020 year before. Giants. They thought they did, but they already had their franchise quarterback in-house. Top four pick. Flagship franchise went to Joe Judge. Cowboys. They hired Mike McCarthy, already had the franchise quarterback in deck, loaded offense. They were number two in cap space going into the season that year. We already agreed. We didn't think McCarthy should have got that job. Panthers, they brought in their franchise quarterback, already had the offensive weapons there with Christian McCaffrey. They had a top seven pick, two second round picks. Matt Rule, who is represented by one of those agencies that I described. Matt Rule came in with no NFL experience, got a record contract. The Cleveland Browns. Had Baker Mayfield, franchise QB in-house, offensive weapons already there. They were number one in cap space going into that season. Stefanski was brought in. Now, it's worked out, but let's not forget, before Stefanski got that job, he was on the outs as not being a good offensive coordinator in Minnesota the season before. Now, the one minority that was hired last year, do you know who that was? Man, you're, you're quizzing me. I didn't know this was trivia time. Um, he actually did a good job this year. I will say, man, I'm drawing a blank. You put me on the spot. So you can't, you, you can't do it. I'm trying to buy time to it think was, of it right real it quick. It was Ron Rivera. He got hired by Washington. Washington before the Texans was the worst job on the market. They had no QB, no anything. It was a dumpster fire. That was the one job well, that hired a minority. Well, not necessarily because at the time they had they, picks. I get they that. They thought they had their franchise quarterback too. So they had picks and they thought they had their franchise quarterback. But everybody knew that wasn't an ideal position, mainly because of management though. And because Washington hadn't really won. Now here's the last thing. I'll wrap it up. 2019, a lot of jobs were on the market. Cardinals. We already know Cliff Kingsbury got that job. They had the number one overall pick, two second round picks. Browns, they had the franchise QB, offensive weapons. They were top three in cap space the year prior. They hired Freddie Kitchens. I'm just going to laugh at that. Packers. And I had a problem with this at the time, but it's worked out. Aaron Rodgers, offensive weapons. They had three first-round draft picks that year, which they traded one. They brought in Matt LaFleur, who didn't set the world on fire at Tennessee. Arthur Smith has done way better in Tennessee than Matt LaFleur did as an OC, and people forget that. Jets, I'll go back to them. They had their quarterback in-house. Top three pick, good cap space. Job went to Adam Gase. Bengals, Zach Taylor, no experience. Somebody had to get that job because it was just so many jobs available. Bruce Arians went to the Bucks. I agree. He's qualified. I like that. Worst job on the market, Miami Dolphins, went to Brian Flores because it's the Dolphins. But here's the thing. He lucked up and went to a situation where they made it work around him. But I guess I don't want to you know, keep going on and on. But I'm just trying to show you. Oh, also, too, that year, Vic Fangio went to the Broncos, which was a bad situation anyway, but he was he was old. So I felt like they were just like, we'll just give him a chance. But my point is, and this happens in college, too, I think the black coaches aren't being considered for good 
openings that are set up to have successful outcomes because they're basically taking over the worst jobs that are available on the market based on do you have quarterback what's the cap space what does the draft look like and i think until that changes i just don't think you're going to see I think you're going to see more of what you saw with Steve Wilkes, black coaches not necessarily succeeding right away. And I think that's the reason why you only see Flores and Mike Tomlin really succeeding. And you see guys like Anthony Lynn and uh, like Vance Joseph get fired so soon is because they're, they're being offered jobs that basically are offered to fail. And that's just my opinion. There's a lot there. I won't get into, I won't, you know, delve into all that. Cause you, you bring up a great point. No, I never looked at it that way. That that's really interesting. Well, hold on, hold on. Well, well, before you, a- before you answer that, I'll just really quick, it happens in college too. And that's why I was trying to make the point that it's all connected. Look at the major universities that do well year in and year out, Bama, Georgia, Ohio state, Texas, USC. I'll say like, those are like the, like, in Michigan, those are like the like the six flagship programs in college football. Like they're basically going to recruit themselves, and then they have a shot to make it to the national championship, whatever. And I'll throw in Clemson. When have either of those programs even had a black head coach? Uh, I don't know. Texas had had Charlie Strong Char- one Charlie time, Strong, right. and it, it will never happen again. But I don't even hear of black coaches being considered. Like. Eric Bieniemy will never drop down to college and be considered for one of those jobs. Like guys that black guys that come from the NFL that go into college, they go to Illinois. It's like Lovey Smith. Like how is Lovey Smith now on not on the radar for some of those jobs? Like Lovey Smith is a beast of a coach in the NFL, and I think it happens in college and it happens in the pros. And I think that's how this whole thing starts happening, where you don't see the black coaches getting hired as much. Well, I. Like I said, you bring up a really interesting point. Well, well done, JT. I, I will say that, you know, teams are, are hiring because those are bad situations to begin with. So, yes, maybe the Cincinnati job was a little better than the Miami Dolphins job, but let's not be fooled either. Zach Taylor was not yeah, I literally in. wrote down. I wrote down because <laughs> there was a lot of jobs open that year. I wrote down Zach Taylor, no experience. Somebody has to get a bad job. So they're like, let's give it to the McVay guy. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm willing to bet there were other candidates that were more qualified than him to get that bad job. Maybe. And maybe that goes back to the Sean McVay factor, which I'm going to get to in a little bit. But even that Arizona job, JT, yeah, they had the number one overall pick. But, you know, that was really gutsy for them to hire a new guy so soon and take a quarterback at number one. So, again – Kingsbury wasn't walking into the best situation because, again, it's the Arizona Cardinals. But it goes. There's it a goes reason to the, why. But it goes to year. the other point I was making about it fits into the one of the categories of draft picks available to get the franchise quarterback, and they're in a rebuild with lower expectations. I feel like once they fire Steve Wilkes, they're like, you know what? We are accepting the fact we're in rebuild mode. Then they bring in a guy like like Cliff Kingsbury, and they're like, you know what? We're going to wait for him to develop this team. Rather than Steve Wilkes, it was like. How did you not know you were in rebuild mode already? Like the team was bad. Right. And, and listen, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, I was just saying that all bad situations with a lot of those teams, unless it's like a San Antonio Spurs where they had David Robinson, they had Sean Elliott, they were injured, just happened to get a top three pick, right? There's a reason why every year Jacksonville, Arizona, Cincinnati, Miami, the Jets, they're drafting in the top five every year. They're just not a good run organization. So to me, those are all bad situations. If you're a new head coach, like you're going to be set up to fail no matter who you are. 
but I agree with you. I mean, obviously, if they're hiring, it was a bad situation. But just look at the last three years. The worst job of the worst job True. on the market, like yep. they're being they're right. being filled by black or minority right. coaches. And to Absolutely. give you another example of how like the college cycle helps this, you know, we talked about like Bill O'Brien being hired at Bama and like Adam Gates was a candidate. Do you know who else is now like rumored to be hired on the Alabama staff to be coaching? Uh, yeah. So you had Bill O'Brien and then Doug Marone. Exactly. How is Doug Marone getting to go to Alabama? But, but that's like what I, I worry you. about. He's going to go to Alabama so, and rehab his image. And then now he's going to be getting one of these jobs again. And I'll get to that point in a little bit, because I think they need to tweak the rule in the NFL. But again, you're forgetting Nick Saban likes guys like Doug Marone because they've been head coaches in the NFL. So they're going to come oh, in and they're going to be professionals. No nonsense. Like they're not dealing with, you know, the teenage kids. Like Dana like, Holgerson it, living on campus it, and partying exactly. with students. Yeah, I get you. Exactly. So, and listen, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just, I was just saying that all no, situations no, no. are, are no, going to be get it. This is, this is just something that I've been thinking about a long and time. That's and amazing. I'm just it wanted is. to, I just wanted to put it all on the table and yeah. just see what you thought about it. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. You're right. I think the worst of the worst jobs, you're right, have gone, it seems like, to the minority coaches over the last couple of years. But the thing that, is, I think that's that great people, research by that people can't see that the worst job isn't necessarily a bad job because of what they did the year before. It's what the circumstances are around the job moving forward. Yeah. Right. Right. Like no, Urban I, Meyer, say what you want. The Jags is a great destination. Like right. they have the picks, the cap space, and the chance to get Trevor. They're gonna be a good team in two or three years if he does this right. Right. And they're probably in one of the worst divisions, especially now that Phillip Rivers has retired. So exactly. in Houston, they Every, could be nobody back wants years. that job. Like other other right. coaches are saying they don't want that job. Right. And now there's like the enemy is our guy. Like that's just yeah. a microcosm of yeah. what this is. I, I get you. I, I'm not disagreeing. I, I, I thought that was great. I, I agree with you. I never looked at it that way. You did a great job with that. And, and we both know, JT, that those stats that we mentioned in the intro there, that in how minority um, coaches have, you know, been, been viewed and not given an equal opportunity by teams, like, that's a shame. Like, that's disappointing. We, we've talked about that before. And Minority coaches, let, let's let's just say it as it is, and you mentioned all the things, they don't get an equal shake when it comes to head coaching vacancies. Either they don't even get a legit look at, or two, you just made another argument because I didn't have a second point there, but they're not being hired in the best situations. They're being hired for the worst of the worst situations. So again, not really an equal shake. Now, the NFL needs to continually review the process. And I've told you this before, and I think I've said it on air, and I will say it again, because a lot of the things that you mentioned can start to be fixed in a way that'll help get more coaches, more minority coaches looked at, whether it's NFL or college, and it's this, JT. The Rooney rule needs to extend to coordinator positions. OC, defensive coordinator, and special teams. You've been saying each, that each of those positions, there needs to be a rule that at least one of your interviews needs to be a minority coach, because what this is going to do is it's going to build that pipeline, right? Essentially and eventually minority coaches are going to, more of them are going to be hired for those coordinator positions. And JT, all the guys you said, 
all the guys you said, whether it was Adam Gase going to Seattle, whether it was now Steve Sarkeesian getting a head coaching job elsewhere after being a coordinator for Nick Saban. And before that, Lane Kiffin, offensive coordinator at Alabama. You see Zach Taylor. You see what Matt LaFleur. You see what Brandon Staley are all doing after being a coordinator. If there's more minority coordinators, that increases the numbers and increases the chances that they can get a head coaching job. And so that's what I believe needs to be done in terms of, you know, how can it be, how can we improve those statistics? Get more coordinators that are minority coaches. Get them in the pipeline. Well, because, well, you because remember this, and I've mentioned this before, for many years, there were no black quarterbacks. And you look down the line, Sean McVay, yeah, he didn't play quarterback at the highest level, but he played quarterback somewhere. He was good yeah. in high school. You, you look at a lot of these coordinators where quarterback coach, or not quarterback coaches, well, they, they were, but after well, they're they quarterback quarter, guys. They were quarterback guys. And now we're seeing more of that, the Cam Newtons, the Kyler Murrays. But not only that, in college too, yes, like a De'Ara King, I believe he could be a coordinator one day. He may not translate to an NFL quarterback. Cliff he Kingsbury can be a, is the model of what coaches, what they're going to be looking at as far as like offensive coaches. Like he played in college, was very exactly. good. Now he's got all this coaching experience around. And he's the, he's the guy, type of guy we're looking for now. And so now you have a lot more quarterbacks um, that are black or minority quarterbacks that are playing. And so now we have to get those guys, even if they don't make it to the NFL, we need to get those guys into coordinator positions. And by doing that, get the Rooney, Rooney rule to extend down to coordinator spots. I think though I'm not I, saying I, listen, I'm I, not saying it's gonna fix it. There's no there's no magic wand, well, but it's gotta be a continual process. Well again, here's the issue. I agree with you. I think what you're saying is right. That needs to be done. But I think what people are talking about and what they don't realize is there you ask that same question every year and I got tired of us talking about it. What do we need to do to Rudy Rule to make sure more black and minority coaches get hired? And what people don't realize is the NFL has found a way around the Rooney Rule, and this is it. I'm telling you, I think this is it. They assess what the worst job is, and based on those situations, and that's, that's the job that we're going to actively recruit and interview black coaches for. Like they're going to be – they have the best chance to be favorites to get those jobs. But this is my thing. You start getting enough Brian Flores and coordinators, minority coordinators in there. Guess what? They eventually, JT, will become the decision makers, right? They will become the you decision think. makers. Well, you hope. You hope. Okay. Yeah, that is true. Well, I hope. Here's the thing. Here's but, the thing. But listen, here would be, here be, be my guy, argument. This to that, is the though. other thing. A guy like Chris Greer, right, who's with the Dolphins, he is a GM of color, right? He's making the right moves. He can start to get guys of uh, minority coaches in the higher up places as well. And then they can be a GM somewhere and succeed. And now it's a snowball effect. So you're right. Listen, it doesn't guarantee anything, but that is where you have to start is in that pipeline. Because if there's no pipeline, there's no way you go from you know, an intern to a GM yeah, to now but, hiring a black coach. Yeah, and I know we're spending a lot of time on this, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of counter your point. 
here's where I have a problem with that. We've had that already. Tony Dungy had a pipeline. They basically have killed that off, and it, it, is, it has plateaued. Here's what is happening that we can't confirm, but you know it's happening because you see it happen in other organizations. This is what Black coaches and Black GMs, they're not going to tell you this, but this is what's not happening when they get those jobs. Because we have Black GMs, like – Chris Greer, we had um, uh, Reese when he was uh, GM. It was the Giants. The, the Giants. Um, Doug Whaley was a GM in Buffalo. Like, like we have black GMs. We have black coaches. Um, Sashi Khan, like Hugh Jackson, like they're all over the place. Here's the thing. I don't know when these black or minority coaches get the jobs. I don't know how much goes into them picking the staff. And I don't know if they get full disclosure to do that or not because we talked about that with the steve wilkes situation in arizona did he pick mike mccoy and if so why the hell would you pick mike mccoy because stats will tell you this is bad (laughs) so i don't know if the black coaches are getting full ability to pick their coordinators also you don't see black coaches get hired in those situations where they get full control of the organization basically gm duties and things like that like a Bill O'Brien situation or like kind of like a Mayock and John Gruden situation. Like you don't see the black coaches get that level of cachet. Like does Mike Tomlin have that? I feel like he's like the most established black coach in the league. Like, is he making those level decisions? I don't think he is, but you don't see black coaches go to that situation. And then also the black GM, I don't know how much control they truly have because another thing with these organizations you don't know who these middlemen who don't have the title, you don't know how much pull they have in the organization. Look at the Texans. What's the guy's name that's basically they're saying he's like the problem? And I don't even know what he does. What's the guy's name? I know who you're talking The name yeah. skips my mind. Yeah, but, but yeah, like they- that guy right now, that's the name that people are saying. Like that Andre the- Johnson. Andre Johnson called yeah. him out. Yep. He, they're basically saying he is the reason why the Texans' job is non-desirable. Who is he? Like what's his position? And it's like – I think we get caught up in titles and we need to know, okay, yes, this guy is a GM, but how much power does he actually have? This guy is the head coach. How much power does he actually have? And I, like, I think these are little ways that the NFL teams have gone around the Rooney rule that people haven't picked up on yet. And I think that's what's also hampering the situation. Yeah. I mean, listen, we're on the, we're on the same page. The stats need to change. Um, and the NFL is not doing uh, a great job about it. All right. So I know we spent a lot of time talking about that, but we got to talk about Warmo co- uh, coach. So uh, you mentioned him, Sean McVay. So <laughs> him and Jared Goff seem to be going at it, and it seems like an ugly divorce. So there are there's some speculation that uh, the Rams might now view their former number one overall pick and long-term franchise quarterback um as not the such so nfl media steve weiss reported that the people have uh he has spoken to said that the relationship between Goff and mcveigh is quote not great and they need marriage counseling so it's got me thinking about the eagles are we heading for a wentz peterson 2.0 situation <laughs> no no it you know sean mcveigh is my guy so i i think Goff respects and appreciates mcveigh because he helped um, turn around his career. So I don't think it's ever going to get to that point the way Carson Wentz was with Doug Peterson. Plus, you know, McVay won't put up with any of that drama from a, from a QB. I'm, I'm convinced of that, especially a QB who hasn't produced 
a, a Super Bowl victory. So McVay may be cool and calm, but you know, he's a competitor. And if Goff isn't his man, then McVay will send him out. Like he's going to avoid any toxic relationship. So I don't think it's going to be um, a Wentz-Peterson 2.0. I think this is worse. And I think it's worse because McVay it's has – a couple – I'm going to stop you there. It, it can't be worse because it's not Philly, right? Like <laughs> Philly media and fans make it way yeah. worse, all right? And two, Goff didn't sit behind and watch the, uh, the team. The he didn't Rams. watch Blake Bortles win a Super Bowl. Exactly. I get you. Exactly. I get you. I'm just saying I think it's worse because McVay has more cachet in L.A. than Peterson had in Philly. And I think McVay is feeling the heat because he's trying to live up to the hype that the NFL has placed on him as, like, this great all-time coach. And we know it. Like, golf is trash. And the NFL is catching up to, like, the play calling of McVay, which I've been saying for a few years now. And I think it's worse just because I think McVay is feeling the pressure. And I feel I don't think it could get to that point, but it kind of smells like he might be a little desperate because the team has not looked as good as it did like three years ago when Todd Gurley was prime. Like they haven't looked as good. On I, I totally disagree. He did a great job with that offense this year. He did, but Cooper it just doesn't. Cooper Cup was banged up. Cam Akers was I agree. Banged up. I agree. But like this Rams offense, like I'm just throwing out the circumstances, like to the naked eye, it just doesn't look as like innovative as it, as it did, you know, when he was getting all the hype. Oh, the league we can agree to disagree up. on that. Yeah, the league always catches up. The main thing I want to know about, since we talked about it being a Philly 2.0, is golf. Because, I mean, obviously, like, there's some tricky situations going on with what they decided to do with him. But how do you see golf's future playing out in L.A. with this situation going on? Well, he's going to stay on the roster for 2021. I mean, if they cut him, JT, it's a $65.5 million dead cap number. Lord. So no way they can cut him. If they trade him before June 1st, they save only $12.4 million on the cap. If they trade them after June 1st, they save $27.8 million. But the problem is, who's going to want him with a draft class that's coming out and then possible other quarterbacks on the market like Matt Stafford, Carson Wentz, Jimmy G, maybe even Dak Prescott, depending on if the if, Cowboys if the butcher. Cowboys keep messing shit. Up. Yeah, if they butcher that. So who's going to want him? So they're not going to even be able to trade him. So he's going to be on the roster, and I think McVay still believes in him. I think he's motivating him with some of his offseason comments to get the best out of him so he doesn't get too comfortable, but he's already gotten him to a Super Bowl once. I don't see why he can't get him back, especially with this defense. And I think McVay, you know, um, or Goff plays out his contract with the Rams, and I'm going to say it right here, right now, he eventually gets them back to a Super Bowl. I agree with you that he will be on the roster, but I disagree with you on why I do think McVay is getting close to being done with him. Because like I said, I think McVay's reputation is on the line as the offensive guy and quarterback sucks. You are supposed to be the man. And I feel like at some point he's going to cut bait. Now here's why I think golf will be on the roster is you brought it up. It's tough because, you know, he's a quarterback with a big contract. They cut him. It's going to be, very detrimental and how do you how do you get value for a guy that secretly I think most people in the NFL feel is not a franchise quarterback like how do you get value for that also how do you get someone to take on the contract like it's not like Wentz where it's like you know what like we've seen like what he could be we might be willing to take some risk in you know trading for his contract also another sneaky thing that you might not be thinking about 
how do you get rid of a guy and get value and show it to other teams if McVay can't coach the best out of him and turn him into a superstar? Like, McVay is the man. Like, if McVay can't do – turn golf into a superstar, what makes, what makes us think we can? Like, McVay is the standard. So I think he's going to be a prisoner of his own success, and he's going to be stuck with golf until either his play improves or they can cut him where it doesn't hurt the cap too much. All right. So we both agree he's going to be there. It's just a matter of we disagree on the success that they have. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, JT, speaking of success, let's have let's have some fun with this next topic. All right. All right. Go ahead. We, we throw these in every once in a while. So give me currently give me your top three quarterback wide receiver combos in the NFL. So all fairness, this was is based on just not just stats but like the connection level that we feel that these these two players have and just you know like they're just totally in sync with each other as well um you want to just go three and then we'll go up each to one uh sure we can do it that way all right for at number three i got uh josh allen and stefan diggs i've got aaron Rodgers and Devonte adams at three at wow. three all right number two i got uh matt ryan julio jones i've got Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, after what they did this year, they just they, they got something there, man. They really like playing together, as you saw after they the, in love. Yep. I'm so, yep. So that connection, there's some connection there. They in love. Like That's they, why, they in a full-on relationship. <laughs> it's a bromance. That that is why I put them above Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. My number one is Rodgers and Adams. I mean, it is how who do you have? If you put Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, I will refute that because there's a reason I didn't put them on this list. I put, and you're going to disagree because it's not oh, really a receiver. Yeah, I put Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. That dude's a receiver. That's why I didn't put him on there because he wasn't a wide receiver. But that was my number one connection. That's my number one. I'm right, betting I agree the rules. with you on that. It's our show. We can do whatever we want. With yeah, that's, that's the best connection. I, I you, wanted to put them on there. So are you taking off? Josh well, Adams and Rodgers slides down to number two. But then, so Julio and Matt Ryan go to three? I think Julio and Matt Ryan will slide off. I'll keep Diggs and Al at number three, uh, okay, Rodgers and okay. Adams at two, and then, yeah, yeah, Kelsey so, and Mahomes is just unreal. Okay, so we just flipped. I got Josh Allen, Diggs at two, and you have them at three. So, okay, not too bad. All right, so can we go into college football just really quick for, for a few questions? Sure, I know you've been itching to talk about it. All right, so I just want to talk about some things that happened in college football over the last week or so that are interesting to us, so I think we can discuss them. First, let's go to the Canes. Uh, Manny Diaz is retaining defensive coordinator Blake Baker, but Manny will be calling the defense on game days. Thank God. Thoughts? (laughs) JT, I don't get it. Why Why keep Blake Baker then? Blake Baker got something. I don't understand when people do this. (laughs) It's loyalty. I don't get it. Groom a young assistant to help you with the game plan so that eventually that coach – We'll get to know how you like the defense, how you like to call the plays, and eventually they can take over as DC. So you can groom the young assistant. Manny, you can still call the defense on game days. Your coach slash defensive coordinator, get rid of Blake and uh, Blake Baker and his contract, and groom the young assistant to eventually take over so you can focus only on head coaching duties. You obviously lost faith in Blake Baker. Why keep him on the staff? I know. And I hate this because I wish you would have did this last year and called the plays when we actually had good talent on defense. But I agree with you. It was about time. Um, And plus, calling defense has always been his thing. 
uh, Baker was a disaster. I just don't, I agree with you. I don't understand why they retained him. Uh, I just want to see more turnover chains. Like I want to see that again. I want that to be a thing. And Joaquin, Joaquin Gonzalez does not agree with you, bro. Uh, whatever. The turnover chain. Whatever. And then I just like um, Manny's fire on defense. He's always had it when he's locked into that side of the ball. And I believe no matter who we have last year, him calling the defensive plays, he'll get the best out of that group. All right, so we both agree. Manny, glad you're back calling the play. Blake, hopefully you can do something else. All right, so let's go to Michigan. Jim Harbaugh quietly agreed to a contract extension that will keep him at Michigan through 2025. Um, on a yearly annual average, he'll be paid between four to four and a half million a year. Good move by Michigan. I told you this before, JT, and I think I've said it on air. It's a good move. He's a Michigan guy through and through. Uh, whoa, I think I thought we both agreed that he should have stayed at Michigan. Like we both agreed that Michigan should keep him. Okay, then yes, if you agreed as well, I couldn't remember what you exactly said. I just know that this was a good move by Michigan. I couldn't remember what you said to be honest. You know, this is a destiny. <laughs> hey, at least he's uh, honest. According to JT, I I don't listen to you anyway, so I'm I'm giving it right back to you. Um, you know, this is a destination job for him, and that's what schools should want. You don't want a guy that's going to use your school as a stepping stone. And so he is still getting blue chip talent. And listen, to be honest, they're still the second best program in the Big Ten. Sorry to Michigan fans, you're not quite number one, but you can get there. And he keeps them relevant, JT, even when they have a bad season, whether it's going to Italy for their summer trip or setting up shop in SEC country. Like, he always keeps them relevant and on ESPN. And speaking with Ryan Norman, our in-house resident Michigan expert, shout out to him. I had a Shout out to him. I had a discussion with him about this uh, even prior to us asking this question. He agrees with me. So I know I must be right then. Yeah, I agree with you um, just for everything you said. And also, too, I mean, I think, like you said, I think they got him for a steal. The four to four and a half million is Sounds half low, what, huh? It's, it's half of what he made last year. And then also the four million, that wouldn't have even cracked the top 10 of coaches paid annually last year either. So it's a discount for a guy, like you said. He's still getting top 10 recruiting classes. It's just there's a juggernaut in his way in his own conference. If, if Ohio state wasn't in that conference, no way they can get it for four mil. And you're getting a guy at that price that he, the only thing he's missing is they need to recruit the right quarterback and they just need to develop him and hit on that. That's the only thing they're really missing. And if he does that, this just, like we said, is all time steal. So we're both in on Jim Harbaugh. Hopefully he gets a turnaround watch next year. He gets, beat 52 nothing by Michigan and then we're looking stupid again but I want to talk about something that was funny um so I believe it was Monday the Tennessee Volunteers parted ways with Jeremy Pruitt after allegations were made public that the football team is being investigated for NCAA violations who should be the coach that Tennessee hires next I feel like there's only one answer well I'm gonna give two answers my first one well I got two written down there's, Let's see there, if they're the same ones. Well, the first one, there's going to be a reason why. There's only a reason, one reason why I would hesitate. I would go with T. Martin. Now he's already Where is there. he? I feel like he's just disappeared, like into the coaching fray. No, he's he's at Tennessee. Still. He's the, he's back at Tennessee now because wasn't yeah. he at USC at one point? Well, yeah, he went. I think USC to Tennessee. Yeah. So 
he's already there. He's a legacy guy there. And again, I talked about destination job for Jim Harbaugh. Oh, he loves it. I, I think this would be a destination job for him. And he's only 42, young guy. He could be there 30 years. He's Lincoln now, Riley, basically that in that range. Right. And this is his school. Now, the problem though, JT, this is why I would hesitate. I want first, I want to know first the extent of That's his involvement of his involvement in the alleged infractions by Tennessee. Because did you hear what they did though? Like well, what they were doing? The, the McDonald's bag full yes, of money. I was like, yo, what is this? The That's, 80s? Like what, what is this? Blue chips, the movie? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Just dumping brown paper bags on people's plates. Like, yo, I'm sorry. Ricky Rowan. Ricky Rowe. And you were involved in this. You have let your colleagues watch New Jack City way too many times. There's no way y'all should be giving out buddy and brown paper bags. It's 2020. Or blue chips. Didn't they give out? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Ricky Rowe in a, in a gym bag. So I'd want to know his involvement. If he's involved at all, I'm sorry, JT. Can't hire him. It just, you, you can't have that around because. That's going to only make the punishment worse if you're willing to keep a coach and oh, make yeah, a head yeah, yeah. coach that was involved in this. For sure. Now, um, now hold on. My, my backup would be Billy Napier. He's the Louisiana coach. He has experience on both the Alabama and Clemson coaching staff. He's 41, and he has head coaching experience where he's been successful. That's key because we saw Manny have a learning curve at Miami, was never a head coach. I think he's starting to get that learning curve under his belt now. But with Billy Napier, he's been a head coach. He's been successful. Only 41, I think he would fit right in. And he's he's been in SEC country being in Louisiana. Yeah, that's a good choice. You know what's funny about this job? I feel like Tennessee has been stuck in this limbo of they recruit better than you think they should, but they just don't do anything. Like, I forget they play a football season. It's like, like Miami. So, yeah, I know. They're so, they're so inconsistently bad. It just makes no sense. But side note, they said that Jeff Fisher wants this job. So that lets you know, like, no. where, where they are no. in terms of, like, the value. But I feel after this, and just basically, I feel like Tennessee has had, like, many scandals, like, with, like, like, uh, like the AD and then, like, some other coaches haven't panned out. They've had, like, players get into trouble over the years. Just go for the jugular. Go get Peyton Manning or Jason Witten. That's, that's what I would do. Like, those are the hires, the goodwill hires that get the NCAA up your back, and it gets excitement and optimism back around the program. I don't know how easy it is going to get be to get Peyton, but, I mean, it can't be that hard to get Jason Witten to stop catching two passes a year for the Raiders. That's wrong, man. That's wrong. I think it would be too hard to get Peyton Manning. He's, oh, yeah, he's, yeah. That's like a pipe dream, though. He don't, he don't want that life. No way. No way. No, he could have that job for life and nobody could tell him what to do. See, I don't think Witten brings in the recruits that you think he would with his name. Like, I don't think that gets recruits excited, by the way. Not the way a Peyton Manning or Deion Sanders does. Yeah, true. But I mean, but also it's Tennessee. Jeff Fisher don't do that either. Well, don't get me wrong. Jeff Fisher, Tennessee should not hire him. <laughs> Let's get this that This is clear. why I was saying we need rules in college. How the hell is Jeff Fisher up for a job? He's the loser this coach of all time. Watch you and go to Tennessee, make a bowl game, and next thing you know, he'll be getting one of those NFL jobs that we talked about that come open. And they don't go eight and eight. Yep. All right. So everyone's favorite weekend prediction, predictions short list. So NFC Championship game, JT, Tampa Bay at Green Bay. Who you got? Bucks. What? Yeah. Wow. I'm worried, about, I'm worried about this because this is the only game where Aaron Rodgers has struggled. That defense is getting healthy. 
And I think, I think the Bucks know they got. I think there was something in that game that let them know they got the Packers number, and they are ready to show like the world, like, oh, you thought it was a fluke. This is how we beat them the last time. We're gonna do it again. Nope. It's what I told you when we went on IG Live Saturday. Destiny. The cold weather. No way Tampa can go from warm weather to the dome, back to warm weather, go to Green Bay in the mid-20s and beat the Packers with that offense right now. No way. This game, this game won't be close. Do you think I, it'll be close? I'm, I'm not saying it's a blowout, but it's not going to be one ten, of those. More than 10 points. It, it's going to be around 10 14 but it's never gonna feel that close mm-hmm. you know what all I mean? right we'll see so i'm going green bay afc championship game buffalo bills at kansas city chiefs real quick jt it looked like patrick mahomes was a full participant in practice on wednesday he's trending toward playing so let's well, go let's with just, the yeah, let's just say it as he's playing he's, he's gonna play yes chiefs next you know what Don't there's some cracks play. this year in that kansas city defense last year that was a really good defense. It's a good defense this year, too. But not as good as last year. Don't forget, that defense kept them in the Super Bowl, which allowed Mahomes to do his fourth quarter magic. This year, Buffalo, I think if you get behind 10 or 14 against Buffalo, forget about it. They're not going to let you back in the game because they're going to keep putting on the points. Whereas those other teams, Houston and Tennessee, they couldn't keep that pace up. I will Buffalo say can. one thing – the. One thing I wanted to pick about the Bills, but I'm just not going to go against Mahomes if he's playing, is Leslie Frazier should be a candidate. I saw a stat where they were saying since week 12, they're basically a top four defense in the league. So we'll see. There you go. All right, let's throw in some MMA. Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. Who you McGregor. got? I got McGregor too. All right. That's kind of an easy one. All right. You know what? It's been a long episode. Let's skip sports confessions, but we got to do everyone's favorite surprise JT. This is, this is another good one. JT, I gave you an easy one last episode. So on today's surprise JT, Bill, Bill's fans donated to Lamar Jackson's charity after he suffered a concussion in the game against them. All right. They actually, Bill's Mafia got a lot of money donated to Lamar's um, charity. JT, which NFL fans are least likely to do that, in your opinion? Oh, the Dolphins. <laughs> really? To I donate? Thought, I thought you would, of the opposing team's quarterback, even when you've knocked them out? So, like, if the Dolphins knocked out Tom Brady, like, we're going to donate to his charity? Yeah. That's what you're asking? Yeah. Who's the least likely to do that? After winning. Yep. Even after winning the game. You still won. Um, either the Dolphins or the Jets. Oh, I, I was going to say Philadelphia Eagles. I feel like they're they're sports people at heart, depending on who the opponent they was. They booed maybe. Santa. They booed Santa Claus. Who does that? Dolphins fans are just ridiculous. All right. So Brady and Breeze met on the field, and you mentioned this earlier, well after the game and press conferences ended. Uh in fact, Tom Brady threw a pass to one of Drew Brees' sons, um, which was a great pass and catch, actually. Better um, pass than his dad threw. In <laughs> <laughs> a better catch than Jerry yeah, Cook made. Um, it, it was a pretty cool moment. Even if you're not a Brady or a Brees fan, for that kid, I know he's grown, he grew up around football, but that is a pretty cool moment. So, JT, got me thinking. Who would be the QB you would have loved to have caught a ball from growing up when you were like eight or nine years old? 
Oh, it's easy. The same guy that I that I stalked and asked him to take a picture with me when he clearly was <laughs> in too the, old to in the grocery store. In the grocery store, that's Dan Marino, man. Nice guy, by the way. Uh, shout out to Dan Marino. Uh, still one of the coolest moments uh, for me, like dealing with sports and all my coworkers. They still can't breathe. Awesome, awesome. Dan Marino from where? Pittsburgh. All right. Hold on. Before you go, I saw this the other day, and if you know it already, stop me. Um, guy that you like this year in fantasy basketball, Jeremy Grant, right? Okay, yes. Do you know who his relatives are? I do not. So his uncle is Horace Grant, which I did not oh. know. And his, I believe his dad is Harvey Grant. Harvey Grant, okay. Yeah. I was that like, was... this makes sense. He's a baller because it's in the bloodline. <laughs> that's true. Well, you know, that's great because that leads me in the trivia time, all right? And I've got a question for you about relatives. Can you, you could, just act you, like you're not so excited? You said <laughs> just that. Just ask the damn you, question. We literally did not plan this out, and you just set it up on a tee beautifully. Do you know who Arthur Smith's father is? Yes. His father is, the, I think, the owner or CEO of FedEx. Founder of FedEx. Founder of FedEx. Yep. Yes. Yep. Talk about talk about money in the bloodline. There. Talk my about good, damn. Arthur. That's a hell of a way to get started in coaching. Is like, hey, my pops owns his founder of FedEx. All right, we'll bring you in. Even though Arthur Smith's going to make millions uh, being a head coach. Don't it. <laughs> well, not only that, that's a pay cut compared to what he could be doing at FedEx. Wow. So, last question: When is the last time? before this season JT because it's happened this year when is the last time Duke UNC and Kentucky were not in the top 25 at least one of them because all three are out of the top 25 right now the Great Depression <laughs> not quite that far back 1961 okay <laughs> closer than I thought it was but okay <laughs> I mean <laughs> we're talking 60 years unbelievable well JT Another great episode in the books. I know it was a long one to the fans and listeners out there. Thank you for sticking with us. Hope you enjoyed it. And remember to please subscribe to us, JT and the Don All Sports Podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and whatever platform you listen to all of your other favorite podcasts. And remember, if you like what we do, leave us a five-star review. And JT, if you don't like what we do, Leave us a five-star review. And also, please follow us on social media. Our handle, JT and the Dawn. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So, JT, great job. Enjoy Championship Sunday in the NFL. And until the next episode, see ya. Peace.